Thanks for joining us today at Springwell Church, where we want to draw spiritually thirsty people to Jesus by loving God, loving each other, and loving the world. We hope that today's message builds you up, gives you a little insight, and helps you find a brand new perspective. You can find us in Taylor, South Carolina, and online at springwell.org. That's springwell.org. Now let's jump into the message. I don't know, some of, there's people in the room this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. You don't, you don't necessarily even um, believe in God. Matter of fact, you're here today because you were given it one more shot or maybe somebody convinced you to come or maybe you're watching online because um, the video looked good and somebody shared it uh, that you trusted. But I think we can all agree that things are chaotic in our world right now, aren't they? Um, some of you are like, you're telling me, saying the least there, Jonathan. I mean, things are, things are inconsistent. And you don't know um, when you wake up in the morning if you're going to have a job. You don't know if somebody in your house is going to be sick. You don't know if somebody's going to be in the hospital tomorrow. You don't know what's going on in our country. The civil unrest, the disagreements. And I, I think this is a very timely series as we start a series today called God of Always. I think it's a very timely series because I think for all of us, even if you're not fully bought into the whole God thing, I think you would want to believe just for a moment that God is the thing that is always, always consistent and stable in your life. When everything else changes, when everybody else abandons you, he is the God of, of always. We have a God who's, who's stable. He, he, he's not, he doesn't operate by the whims of the world. He doesn't get scared when something happens that surprised us. It doesn't surprise him, but he's a God of always. He's always consistent. He's always relevant. And even when my circumstances don't look good, his character is still the same. Getting ready for this series, I started thinking about different things that are consistent and don't change. If you take a second and think about it, there's very few things, right? I thought of oxygen, air, it's always there, right? Even when you can't see it. Take a deep breath. Okay, see, all of you were able to take a deep breath, that's awesome. It's always there. How about time? Time is always ticking, right? Your clock is always going unless you run out of batteries, but that doesn't stop the clock, right? It's always moving. Time is always consistently moving forward. How about energy? It's said that energy isn't created, it's just transferred, right? Am I right? Isn't that a scientific thing that I learned about a long time ago? But it's consistent. There's a consistent amount of it. It's, it's always around. What about waves? In the ocean, they're always consistent. They continue to, continue to move. And then the most obvious one, laundry. Come on, somebody. It don't matter how many loads you do, it's still there. It's still there, and you're going to be missing a sock. So come on. Y'all, y'all know what happens to the, to, the, to the missing socks. They become the tops to the Tupperware containers you can't find. Did y'all know that? My point is, is that there are very few things that are, uh, that are consistent. But this is what the psalmist says in Psalm 102, verse 27. He says, but you are the same, and your years have no end. Can you? Can you wrap your mind around that for a second? That God is the same, 
and his years have no end. And, and I tried to illustrate it, and I didn't necessarily come up with this illustration, but I wanted to illustrate it. So if you think of this rope, this rope is eternity, okay? Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry, got a little carried away there. But this rope, let's say this rope represents eternity. And let's just pretend like it goes on and on and on and on forever. It's always been, always has been. This part right here is the part that you and I know about. But yet, we spend 99.9% of our lives on this part, don't we? Forgetting all of the rest of it. Forgetting that we spend eternity somewhere. We spend eternity living somewhere. That God has been around for all eternity, but yet we're going to spend all of our time, energy, and effort worried on this one piece. The psalmist says, God, you... You are the same, and your years have no end. In other words, you have always, always been. Even when I don't understand because my little part looks a little off, God, you are the same. You have always been, and you never, ever change. Now, of course, the pushback to that is, okay, God, if, if, if you've always been, and you always will be, where did you come from, right? It's a fair question. Where did God come? come from. So one of the things that we know, and once again, I think it's a scientific thing, is that every creation has a creator. So let's take that for instance. We start moving that back through time, through history. Eventually you have to get to the start, don't you? Now, I have just always decided that it is easier for me to believe in a God that I see the, can see the results of. I may not be able to see him, but I can see the things that he does. I've seen how he's been faithful in my life. I've seen some things that couldn't have been coincidences in the lives of the people around me. I just choose to believe that if I trace it back far enough, it's easier for me to believe in a God who's always been that I can see his activity more so than anything else. Because if you trace it all the way back, you still got to start with a particle or something, Right? But if I trace it back to an all-powerful God, who I can literally see what he's done, it's easier for me to believe in that than it is anything else. He's always been. He's the God of always. His timeline runs on forever and ever and ever. Today, I want to talk about how God has always been and how he's always with us. In Psalm 139, we're going to be there today. Psalm 139 is a psalm of, of David. David is, is, this is King David who was a shepherd boy who killed Goliath. Y'all remember that story? Even if you don't know a lot of Bible stories, you probably know that story. He killed Goliath. He becomes king of a nation known as Israel. He's God's chosen man. God chose him to be king. We don't know exactly how many Psalms David wrote, but it's around 70, around 70 Psalms. And this Psalm particular, Psalm 139, Some scholars will say that David writes this psalm at a time when he was king, but he was being misunderstood. So in other words, people were saying some things about him that weren't necessarily true. How many of you ever had that happen? And so David 
writes this psalm, which is actually a prayer. It's a prayer he's praying to God because he is confused, because he is tired of being misunderstood. And so David is praying to a God that understands him in hopes that it will help him realize that what the other people's misunderstandings don't really matter. So I just want to walk through this verse by verse today, just for a few verses. And I want us to talk from the subject of hide and seek. Hide and seek. How many of you remember playing hide and seek? That should be easy audience participation. If you didn't raise your hand, I'm going to assume you were asleep or you got a shoulder issue. Everybody played hide and go. As a matter of fact, if you go to a playground today, which today would be a terrible day to go to a playground. If you go to a playground today, you'll still see, see people play, kids playing hide and seek. How many of you were good at hide and seek? If somebody around you has their hand raised, watch them. Because they got an early start being sneaky, okay? I, I, was never, I was never very very good at hide and seek for some pretty easy reasons. Number one, I was a pretty large kid. Number two, I wasn't very nimble. So it made it hard for me to, for me to hide. I'd be the one that would, you know, hide behind something, but you could still see like half, of, you know what I mean? And so I wasn't very good at hide and seek. But it's almost like when David writes this psalm, he is, he's questioning God's hide and seek ability. Or he's realizing that God must be the ultimate hide-and-seek player. Let's, let's start uh, Psalm 139, starting in verse 1. David says, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. He says, you have, you have searched me. Riley, was our little boy, was about three years old, and I took him to Kids Planet one day. Y'all remember Kids Planet before they destroyed it? Can I get a witness? He misses Kids Planet. But I took him to Kids Planet one day, and we hadn't been living here very long. I think Melissa was working or something. And so I took him by myself to Kids Planet one day. He was playing. He was having fun. We were hanging out. And I don't know what happened. I don't know if I, like, turned away. Maybe I was talking. Maybe I was on my phone. Okay, I said it. I said it. Parents, don't act holy on me. But somehow he ran off, okay? He ran off. And I... I have the thought that most parents would have when they lose their child in a park. It's, okay, don't panic, right? Don't, don't panic. He's around here somewhere. Start looking. And so I, I start looking. What felt like five to ten minutes go by? It's probably like 30 seconds, a minute. Finally, I'm like, forget this. I'm panicking, dadgummit, right? And so you start to panic, and you start to, you start to look around. And, and, and you start to, to walk around really, really fast. And so I actually, if you remember Kids Planet, they had like this tire tube thing. I actually went down the tire tube looking for him. Like I'm looking, looking, looking like a fool at this point. About what seems like five or ten minutes later, again, it's probably like a minute or two, Riley comes up to me and says, Dad, you looking for me? <laughs> you know, we search for what's important to us, don't we? David starts out this psalm and he says, God, you search me. Like, I am so important to you that you're willing to search me. You search not just, not just for me, but you search me. I want you to know this morning because there's some people, I want, I want you to know that regardless of your insecurities and regardless of how much you feel unworthy to be searched by the creator of the universe, he still searches you. And why? Why? Because you're important to him. 
David says, God, you, you search me. God, you, 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 you give your effort in searching me at my innermost being. God, you have an all-access pass to me. For some of you, that's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, apparently not me because the roof would have caved in when I walked in the church, right? But God does. He has an all-access pass to you. And, and I also want you to know that if, if you have that attitude this morning, it's because you've been believing some stuff, or maybe somebody's told you some stuff that's, that's not true. The walls are not going to cave in. The roof is not going to cave in, but God searches you, but he does it not so that he can find something against you. It's almost like a, like a judge. He comes in and he says, I search for you because I want to let you off the hook. He says, you search me. God searches you. My question this morning is, what are you searching for? What are you searching for? Are you searching for answers? Like, have you got, have you got just a lot of questions? You, you haven't said them out loud? And they're not all exactly spiritual questions, but they're questions you wonder why things are the way they are. You wonder why that had to happen, or you wonder why they did that. Or you have questions about, how, how am I going to get out of this one? God, how, how, what are you going to do for this one? Are, are, are you searching for answers? Are you searching to be noticed? Have you always felt like you were the one who kind of snuck in and snuck out and nobody really noticed you were even there? Are you searching to be valued? Have you been told lately or have you not been told but you've always felt like you were just kind of an extra in a movie that you were in, like you didn't really have a valuable part and you don't feel valued, are, are you seeking companionship? Are you searching for some people to love you for, for you? What, are you? what are you searching for? And, and this is why I asked, because as I, was, as I was praying through this, God showed me this, and I thought that this may be my favorite part of this message. So after this, you can tune me out if you want to, but I want you to hear this. The fact that God searches you fulfills everything you search for. Are you searching for answers? The fact that God would be willing to search you gives you some answers. Are you searching for companionship? Because the fact that God is willing, the creator of the world is willing to search you, gives you someone to walk through life with because he is always with you. He never leaves you. He never forsakes you. Are you seeking to be valued? Because how much more value can be placed on you than the creator of everything you see saying, I see you enough and I search you. What are you searching for? Because everything we look for is found in God's searching of us. He searches you because you're that important to him. You're not an extra in somebody else's movie. You're not a side note. God searches you. He searches you and he knows you. And it's not just that he knows everything. I think for many of us, even, even if you're not a Jesus follower, I think you can kind of at least wrap your mind around the fact that God knows everything. But it's not just that God knows everything. It's that he knows everything about you. It's that he doesn't just know your stats, but he knows the essence of who you are. He doesn't just know your height, your weight. 
He doesn't just know you like to go eat here, but he knows you. He knows those things that you hide from everybody else, even those people that are closest to you, those thoughts that you have that you don't really want to have, that thing that you said you were going to stop doing over and over and over again every day for the past week. He knows those things. He knows what stresses you out. He knows what, what, what scares you. He knows your fears. He knows your mess-ups. He knows your thoughts. He knows your potential. And he knows your real heart when everyone else around you seems to misunderstand you. He knows you because he, he made you. Melissa and I play this game sometimes where if one of us fixes supper without the other one, we'll try to guess what the other one put in it. You know what I'm talking about? Y'all get the idea? So bef- before I move on, I, I, for, for clarification, I, I'm no like gourmet chef, okay? I'm talking about like I put some onion powder in the spaghetti sauce, okay? I, I, or I'm dressed up a frozen pizza. Don't, don't get carried away with this, okay? But sometimes when one of us cooks and we're eating supper, the other one will try to guess what they added to it. So if we're eating spaghetti, maybe was it peppers? Was it onion powder? Was it garlic powder? Was something else we put in spaghetti sauce? Oregano, tomatoes, basil, Italian seasoning, hot sauce, mushrooms, American cheese. All right, this wasn't supposed to be an entire congregation survey. I was really just asking her. But here's my point. Here's my point. Do we ever really guess what's in it? No, why? Because we didn't make it. God knows what is in you. He knows you because he made you. Because he took the time to say, I'm going to put a little bit of this in there. Like, I'm, I'm going to leave this out, but I've got something really special to put inside of them. He took the time to carefully gourmet chef you up. He knows what he put in you, and he searches you, and he knows you. He doesn't just know about you, but he knows you because he made you. He made me. And by the way, the fact that he knows what he put in you, he also knows what he left out. And God will never desire something from you that he did not put in you. Some of you, that's freedom right there because you've been trying to be like them. You've been trying to be more blank. You've been trying to have it all together like the mom you see on Facebook. When God created you with a personality that can drop everything, even if it's a mess, and go help somebody, God didn't put that in you. God didn't put it in you for your kids' socks to match. He put it in you. He put it in you for you to be okay with a mess because you were going to go help somebody. Don't desire what other people have if God didn't put it in you. Don't desire to be ripped like me. I told that, I said that first service, and I said I couldn't, I couldn't listen after that because I knew you were a liar. Um, <laughs> but don't, don't, don't desire, don't compare yourself to somebody else because God knows what he put in you, and he will never de- desire something from you that he did not deposit in you. For some of you, that, that's revolutionary. You don't have to be them. You can be the best version of you that he created you to, to be. So David continues and. Verse 2, and I promise I'll speed this up. Verse 2, David says, You know when I sit and you know when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. It's 
It's funny that God knows even the most boring things about us. He says, you know when I sit and when I rise. God doesn't just know the exciting stuff about you. He knows the boring stuff too. It's kind of like when, when a couple comes for like premarital counseling to talk. We, we always get them to fill out this survey online. And it, they fill it out separately so that we can see the differences and I can talk through that stuff with them. And it's funny when they come, they, they know a lot of stuff about each other, right? I mean, if you're going to marry somebody, if you've been dating for a while and you're engaged, you know a lot of stuff about somebody. But usually it's, it's the fun stuff, right? It's, I know their favorite food. I know what restaurant they like to go to. I may know what aggravates them. I may know like what they want to do one day. I may know where they went to high school or how, how they were raised. But what happens after you've been married a year or two? You know even the boring stuff, don't you? Like it takes you a year or two. It took Melissa a year or two to figure out I was going to have five brands of hot sauce in the pantry. It's boring, but it's important, right? It took me a year or two to figure out that she can't flip a light off. How, how cool is it, how cool is it that God knows even the most boring stuff about you? Like, he doesn't just know the exciting stuff, you know, like, he doesn't just know the, the good things you've done, but he knows everything about you, the most boring stuff, and he loves you anyway, and that's freeing, because do you know what that means? That means you don't have to impress him or prove anything to him. It means, you don't it means you don't have to go all out. You don't have anyone to impress. You have nothing to prove because the God of the universe knows even the most boring things. He knows when you sit down. He knows when you get up. He knows the most boring things about you. You have nothing to prove to him. And that, in and of itself, can change your every day. I've got to admit, I'm someone who has felt I had to prove myself for a long time. I'm a hard worker by nature. But it's almost like I need something to work for. I almost feel like I have to prove myself. And do you know what a vicious cycle of having to prove yourself looks like? Do you know how tiring that is? Do you know how tiring it is thinking that you have to, that you have to, to prove the next person, prove yourself to the next person? You have to, to prove to them that you can do it. You have to prove to them that you love them. You have to prove to them something. That gets exhausting. But the fact that God knows when I sit down, he knows when I get up, and he loves me anyway. He searches me, he knows me, he knows what I do, even the most boring things. I have nothing to prove. I have nothing to prove to anybody that really matters. And I'm not gonna work all of my time proving myself to someone whose opinion at the end of the day really doesn't matter that much. Because God says, I am worthy. He says, I'm worthy of being searched. He says, he wants to know me. He says, he's active in my life. And he says that he loves even the boring stuff about me. I'm going to quit trying to prove myself. I'm going to rest in the fact that the creator of the universe says, you are worth me searching. You are worth me being with you. Relax. Just relax. They're not worth it. Love them. Don't be a jerk. But relax, you have nothing to prove. And then David continues. He says, you discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar in all of my ways. You don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you have ever, have ever ran from God? Maybe it, was, maybe it was purposeful. 
maybe, maybe you prayed for something and you just knew. Everybody told you God was going to give you a certain outcome. And you just knew it. But yet it didn't happen the way you wanted it to. So finally you're like, forget this. What am I wasting an hour of my Sunday morning for, right? Why am I even trying? And so you ran. For some of you, you ran from, you ran from God because somebody that you were close to looked nothing like Jesus. And so you got a bad taste of Jesus. And so you ran the other way. You said, if that's Jesus, I want to go over here. Sometimes it's, sometimes it's accidental. Sometimes you just take little baby steps. Like maybe you get comfortable not going to church. Maybe you get comfortable doing something you know is wrong. And so you take these little baby steps, and the baby steps, baby steps, baby steps, they begin to add up. But yet, before you know it, you've ran the other way from God. David says, God, you discern my going out. Am I lying down? You're familiar in all of my ways. What he's trying to say is he's saying, person that's been on the run, you can try to leave God, but he'll never leave you. (laughs) The faster you run, God's the ultimate hide and seek player. The faster you run, as soon as you stop and you say, I surrender, he'll be right there. You can try to push him away. You can try to do enough. You can try to smoke enough. You can try to do that thing enough. You can, you can try to lie enough. You can try to cheat enough. You can try to out it. You can out, try to outrun it. God is always there because you can try to leave him. He will never, ever, ever leave you. Are there consequences for our actions? Absolutely. He would not be a just and loving God if there were not, but he is always faithful to bring you back. You know my, when I go out, you know, when I, when I come back in, God is so big. Look at, look at verse 4. He says, before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. Does anybody ever think they said something to somebody and they didn't really say it? <laughs> Apparently, I'm terrible at this. There'll be something that happens, and I'll, I'll, I'll tell Melissa, I'll be like, I told you that. She's like, no, you didn't. I said, well, I at least thought it. That should be good enough. No, I don't, I don't say that. That wouldn't be good. That wouldn't go good. But have, have you ever done that? Maybe that's, is that a man thing or is that just an everybody thing? Like you think you said something, but you didn't really say it. But David says, God, you, you know the words that I'm about to say before, before I ever say them. You, you, you read my mind. And prayer is important. We're going to talk about that next week. But he says, you, you know everything. There's never been something that, that you don't under, understand about me. And then verse five, he says, you hem me in behind and before me and you lay your hand upon me. That word hem me in literally means you've got my back covered, you've got my front covered, you've got all sides, you literally, it means you surround me. Think of it as like a war bunker, like an underground bunker where you would put supplies, vital supplies or, or, or troops. What, what David is saying is he's saying, God, literally, your hand of protection does, isn't just on me, but it literally surrounds me. Everything that I do, there's nowhere that I can go where I am not in your protection. Does that always feel like God's protection? No, and David is gonna experience that. It doesn't always feel like God is protecting him, 
But God is always protecting. He's literally engulfing you with his protection. And, and for some of us, that's enough to make us be able to rest right there. Because you feel like you're under attack right now by people, by your job, by your own anxiety. David says, you, you hem me in, you, you, you surround me. And then verse 6 may be the most reassuring verses that we've read. It says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. So get this, all that we've talked about, everything we've, we've discussed, the fact that God searches us, that he has an all-access pass to us, that he knows everything about us, those deep, dark things, those big things that everybody else knows. He knows our fears, that he searches us, that he knows us. The fact that God loves us, that there's nothing that we can do to outrun his love. The, the, the fact that God created us. The fact that he never misunderstands us like other people do. The, the fact that even in the boring stuff, God knows us, that he surrounds us. All of that, that we can understand about God is just a drop in the bucket to who God really is. So this rope can represent eternity, but this could also represent the full nature and character of God. God is so much bigger than we can imagine. Let's just pretend like this goes on and on and on forever, and that it engulfs the, the character the fact that God's always loving, he's always just, it goes beyond the fact that God is everywhere. It goes beyond the fact that he's the creator. It goes beyond the fact that he holds eternity in his hand. All of this represents who God is. This part right here represents your knowledge of him. This part right here represents what you really know about God. So just try to wrap your mind around this for a second. He knows you. He knows the birds in the air. He knows the trees. He knows the mountains by name. He knows the animals of the sea. He knows the moon and the stars, and he knows the past and the future, and he knows you. You can't know him fully, but you can trust him because he knows you and he searches you. You can trust him because this little part that you do know about him is nothing compared to all that he is. This little bit of faithfulness you have, you have in him, or you know that he hasn't, he, this little bit of faithfulness that he is, is nothing compared to the rest of the faithfulness he gives. This little bit of power that you've seen him do is nothing compared to the rest of what he's capable of. He is bigger than your imagination, and he searches, and he knows, and he is always with you. And David says, you know me, and you're always with me. He's not just with you, but he's on your side. And then David talks about, where can I go? He says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. In other words, God is the undisputed, heavyweight champion 
hide-and-seek player of the world. You can't escape him. He's always with you. And while you can't comprehend, your mind can't wrap around all the complexity that is God, you can know that he is faithful. And he'll get you through. He'll get you through this. Before we read on with every head bowed and every eye closed, there's people in the room this morning and you've been searching. You've been searching for for meaning. You've been searching for, for hope. And maybe, just maybe, even though you can't understand it, God brought you into this building this morning so that you could see that that only comes through Jesus. You see, Jesus came to earth so that you could know God, even the amount that you do. Because your sin, the things that you had done wrong, sin literally means to miss the mark, had divided you and God. Because God is perfect. That's one of those things that makes him God. And so Jesus came as God's son. He lived, he lived a perfect life because he knew you couldn't. He died a death on a cross that he didn't deserve so that you wouldn't have to. And then he rose from the grave so that you could have conversation, so that you could have a relationship, so that when God searches you, you could ask him questions back and you could walk with him and you could talk with him and you could be with him. So this morning, if you're searching for something and you haven't found it, Jesus is the answer. To accept him, the Bible says you just, you just believe that he is who he says he is and you confess that you've messed up and you confess that he's gonna be the captain of your life. So if you need to accept me this morning, every head bowed and every eye closed, just say, God, you can say this in your heart. Say, God, I know, I know I'm missing something. God, I don't know all of the details, but I can make the leap of faith and believe that you, that Jesus is who he says he is. I'm tired of running. I'm tired of searching. Jesus, I believe you died. I believe you rose. I put my faith in you. Thank you for saving me. I follow you as best as I can. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to take communion in just a moment. Um, If you're a believer in the room this morning, you're welcome to, to take communion with us and to participate in that with us. The communion cups are two parts. There's a a film on the very top that you peel off and the cracker, the wafer is under that. And then there's another film that you pull off and the juice is under that. And you can hang on just a second. We'll do, we'll kind of do that together. I know that this isn't always easy for you to peel those off. So if you need help from somebody around you, please let them know. It's just the best we can do right now in 2021 with, with taking, taking communion. But you have a cup, you have a cracker on top of that cup. And in just a moment, I'm gonna finish this section of Psalm 139. I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna take communion. You can go ahead and take communion by yourself as we listen to some music and you kind of do it together as well. There's a card in your seat if you need to know more about communion, but as believers, we take communion because Jesus told us to, frankly. 
And while it can get really habitual and it can just become kind of something we do, this morning my encouragement is for you to kind of pull back just a little bit and and really think about what you're doing. That cracker at the top of that cup represents the body of Jesus. You know, scholars would say that Jesus was beaten beyond recognition. Not something he deserved, but he did it for you. The juice represents his blood that he willingly spilled on a cross, on his way to a cross, so that you could accept his gift of of eternal life. And so the night before Jesus was going to die, he gathered with his closest followers, and he had bread and he had wine. And he took the bread and he held it up to his disciples. He says, this is going to make more sense to you in just a little while, but I want you to to take this and remember me every time you do it. This is my body that's broken. Then he took the cup and he said, I want you to remember me every time you do this. This is my blood that was spilled. And so that's why we do it. We do it to celebrate. And so my encouragement this morning is don't make this just another thing that you do and just kind of a ritual. But in just a moment, after I read these verses and I pray, I want you to sit there. Before you partake and before you eat the cracker and take the juice, I want you to try to just try to imagine the lengths that Jesus was willing to go for you because it's real, y'all. For us, it's a story on a page. But if we were there, we would have seen it in living color. Psalm 139, verse 9, says, If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. And then verse 13 says, for you created my inmost being. He knows you. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. And I know that full well. The God that knows you was willing to die for you. Jesus, thank you so much for making a way. For making a way for us to have a full-time relationship with God. And God, this morning as we take communion together, will we do so with an eye on, on the cross? God, we weren't there, but for the people, the the bystanders around, it was very real. God, to see Jesus gasping for air as a crown of thorns set on his brow. God, he did it all for us in spite of our mess-ups, in spite of our mistakes. God, you did it for us. So this morning, through communion, we celebrate that. God, we remember. Thank you that there's always room at your table. In Jesus' name, amen.
There's a chair that waits for you. And a friend who understands everything you're going through. But you keep standing at a distance in the shadow of your shame. But there's a light of hope that shines won't you come and take your place and bring it all to the table there's nothing he ain't seen before for all your sin all your sorrow and your sadness is the Savior and He calls, bring it all to the table. And He can see the weight you carry, and the fear that holds your heart. But through the cross you've been forgiven. You're accepted as you are. So bring it all to the table. There's nothing he ain't seen before. For all your trials, all your worries, and your burdens, there's a Savior and he calls. Bring it all. So come on in, take your place. There's no one who's turned away. All your sins and all your saints, come right in and find your grace. Come on in, take your place. There's no one who's turned away. All your sins and all your saints, come right in. Bring it all to the table. There's nothing he ain't seen before. For all your sin, all your sorrows, and your sadness, there's a Savior in calls. Bring it all to the table. Let's pray. God, sometimes it's hard to to make space in our lives just to, to sit at your table. God, part of me doesn't want to dismiss this because I know that people in front of me and the people watching online are going to have to get back to lives after this. God, I pray that those moments where we do have to 
concentrate completely on you, God, that you'll remind us that you love us just the way we are, that you're willing to take us broken, messed up, and you won't leave us that way, but you're willing to love us right there. Lord, thank you for this amazing church, people who are real, the people who are passionate about what you've done in their lives. Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice. Just let us leave with, with, a, with a better awareness of it. Let it be more real. Let it be more in front of us. God, thank you for the opportunity and the pleasure to teach your word. God, thank you for all that you've done this morning. In Jesus' name.